Hey friends, I'm Ashley. Hey you guys. I'm Lainey. And this is Haunted Real Estate. Today we will be talking about one of the most mysterious properties in LA. This property has a reputation for murder, suicide, and some really strange happenings. It's famous for housing Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. It was also the influence for American Horror Story Season 5 for the Hotel Cortez in LA. The Hotel Cortez was the hotel in American Horror Story. This is strange. This is a strange and sad history of the Hotel Cecile at 640 South Main Street, Los Angeles, California, 90014. Hotel Cecile is now called Stay on the Main. It has been rebranded and taken on a new look, but the location is the same. I have to say I'm so excited. This is one of my favorites, even though it's really dark and sad. Uh, but from what I know of Hotel Cecile is... I mean, it's just so creepy, and mm-hmm. I know we've talked about American Horror Story before when we did La Lurie, but... Uh, I feel like it keeps coming up. It does. I'm um, like, this was in La and this La Lurie. I was well, like, this is an American Horror Story. Did y'all see this in American Horror Story? I don't go there for inspiration. No. But it sounds like I do. <laughs> no, I know you don't. But I mean, Haunted Real Estate, American Horror Story, I mean, it's just, you know, we're all talking about scary stuff, so it just happens to collide but I I did love that season of American Horror Story I know a lot of people did not uh and then I also did read about uh, one of the the missing girl so Mm -hmm. Elisa Lamb yeah yes Um, of course she's in today's too so my excitement is not because like ooh, like these people died um it's it's just it's just so creepy like there's no I don't know I hope you like (laughs) why like one property having so many creepy things happen there like that's why we do this show because it's just fascinating when just inside these walls all there's all these weird things so many weird things and you know what I'm a little pissed off at myself that I did not go check it out when I was in California to visit Jess and Julie but you know that was really stupid. That was the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> well, then you're doing all right. Then. Okay. <clears throat> so Hotel Cecile was built in 1924 by Hotel William Banks Hanner and designed by Loy Lester Smith. It was meant to be for international businessmen and the upper class socialites. The hotel costs one to $1.5 million to build. Today, that would be over $21 million to build. I was about to say, I, I know t- time changes what money is, but that seems so cheap for a hotel. Uh, yeah, seeing as in L.A., like, houses can easily cost more than that for, like, 900 square feet. Absolutely. So, $21 million in today's money. It's 15 floors, 700 rooms with a marble lobby. Uh, just really looked like old Hollywood. Cecile opened its doors in 1927 in downtown Los Angeles. The timing of this build was really unfortunate, though, because it was only 1929 that the U.S. and much of the world was plunged into the Great Depression. So at this point, people started nicknaming the area around Cecile Skid Row, and it ended up housing thousands of homeless people. Um, And 90 years later, the area is still in, in the territory of Skid Row, and still there's a lot of homeless people. Is the and, hotel still up and running today? 
It is, but it's called Stay on the Main. They, they tried to rebrand it because Hotel Cecil obviously has this crazy reputation. Yeah. So they began renting out rooms for cheap for short and long-term guests. This usually, they usually have single rooms with a shared bathroom. So it's kind of like a hybrid of a hotel and a hostel. I would hate to share a bathroom with a stranger. I know. And, and a lot of Airbnbs do that too. Yeah, but at least you, I guess... You know what you're signing up for, so I guess that's fine. I would stay in a hostel or an Airbnb if I saw that, and I'm assuming people know that when they're staying there. Yeah, the Airbnbs like a weird concept for a hotel today. Yeah, the Airbnbs that share a bathroom are much cheaper for sure. So if you're going to a big city or something where it might be really expensive to get an Airbnb, that's a good way to save some money. And if you are staying in an Airbnb with a complete stranger, make sure your door locks. And have some pepper spray just in case because people be crazy. People are crazy. So in the 1930s, this property quickly quickly gained a reputation for being a hangout for criminals, dealers, junkies, and more. Within a four-mile radius of the hotel, there were approximately, I'm having a hard time like finishing a full word. There were approximately 10,000 homeless people within four miles. Whoa. That's a lot. That is a lot. So the hotel itself started to become infamous for murders and suicides in the building. In the 1930s alone, there were six suicides, and these deaths ranged from self-poisoning, shooting, throats being slit, and one jumping from a window. Someone slit their own throat? Yes. Oh. So this hotel has a very dark past now. Let's get into the details. So uh, people believe this hotel to be a magnet for sinister activity, It's also been described as symbolic of L.A. itself, that L.A. looks glamorous from the outside, but has a lot of sinister things and dark things that happen on the inside. And I'm going to go just go ahead and apologize to Californians that I didn't make that up. That's just what a lot of things that I have read. So how I'm telling this story today is kind of going to look like a lot of short stories because I'm going to talk about a lot of things that happened to particular people in there, things that happened inside the hotel with these particular people. So. Let's giddy up. I like short stories. I'm excited. So Hotel Cecile's first victim was Percy Ormond Cook, was the first guest to end their life at the hotel. This was the first recorded suicide at the hotel. Side note, it makes me feel weird when they say recorded suicide, because I'm like, do you have some unofficial ones that you just didn't record? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. First recorded suicide at the hotel was January 22nd, 1927, which again was the year it opened. Uh, Insider.com said that he was in real estate. He was in a rough patch in his marriage and tried to reconnect with his family, his wife, his son, but was unsuccessful. So he shot himself in the head in his hotel room and died. That is so sad. That is sad. That makes me feel I, I feel so really guilty him. that I really just went to... T- to hot chickers. That is like a so sad. <laughs> it, I don't it, feel it is guilty. I, I do I hate anything with suicide. It's it's so sad and just it sounds like it's like it was really hard. Yeah. And also what a way to open a hotel. Grand opening. Yeah, not a good start. Nineteen thirty one is the second recorded suicide, WK Norton. He overdosed on pills. Another article said uh, poisonous pills. Uh, 1937, Lewis Borden, an army sergeant, took his life with a razor blade to the throat. I'm sorry. Can we go back to poisonous pills? What are poison pills? Um, maybe it was like cyanide or something. Oh. It comes in pill form? It just said poisonous pills. Oh, okay. In 1938, Roy Thompson, a Marine, jumped from the building and landed on the skylight of the neighboring building. 
Um, so within about 10 years of the hotel's opening, there were already several deaths. And I don't know what the average is for a hotel, but it just feels like a lot. It's a little bit extra. Seems like it. Could you imagine looking up at the skylight and then seeing somebody's body fall down on top of it? No, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. I hope I never see a dead body. Same. Um, Other deaths include guests that have fallen from the building. These were just labels as the cause of death, like fell from the building, uh, but not noted as suicide or accident. It it could have been either. Oh, gosh. That's like (laughs) that's like how I would die. She just fell she off. She tripped. <laughs> she tripped. Laney tripped. <laughs> yeah. So there's at least eight that we know of that have fallen from the building. Uh, Grace Margot in 1938. Robert Smith in 1947. Helen Gurney in 1954. Julia Francis Moore in 1962. Allison Lowell in 1975. And two men that have not been identified. One fell from the building in 1992 and the other in 2015. Oh, wow. I didn't know we were going up to 2015. Yep. Um, September 1944, Dorothy Jean Purcell was a guest at the hotel staying with Ben Levine, who was a shoe salesman. Uh, She was 19 and he was 38. So Dorothy woke up with a stomach pain, some stomach aches. Uh, She went to the bathroom and ended up giving birth to a baby boy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This was, I didn't know I was pregnant. I... That that stuff is insane to me. I would, I don't know what I would do if I pooped out a baby. Yeah, having been pregnant twice, I don't know how you don't know. Like, like well, when the baby starts moving, like especially the eight and nine month mark, it's a lot and it's uncomfortable. And so I just wonder, like people that didn't know they were pregnant, how? Yeah, but the human body's weird, and every woman's pregnancy is different. So like. Well, how did a live baby come out of you that wasn't like kicking or doing anything? Did you think, did you think you had like a serious tapeworm or something and then just didn't really do anything about it? I mean, they could have had like IBS or something that, you know, they're, they're feeling something, but they think it's something else, you know? All right. I don't know if you've ever seen the, I didn't know I was pregnant show that was out years ago. I've seen a couple episodes. Well, like one of the girls was super skinny and like she just didn't show. So she she thought she just had like stomach issues, but I guess never went to the doctor because the doctor could have told you you were pregnant. Yeah. There was, there was one episode I watched where she had twins and didn't know she was pregnant. I'm like, really? That's so You really didn't know? But that, what would be the most like Besides all that, what would be crazy is all the time that parents prep for having a baby and you just came out with some babies and didn't know. Like, you didn't prep. You don't have anything. That's so scary to me. I've known someone that found out they were pregnant at five months. And to me, that's not enough time to grasp. Your life is changing and you're going to be a parent and Mm -hmm. you have nothing ready for that baby. Yep. So what Dorothy did was she threw the newborn baby from the building. Oh. She went back to the bedroom with Ben Levine and just didn't say anything about it to him. That is Again, so up. what is wrong with you? I like I just I don't understand that concept. So clearly there's something mentally going on with this person to probably not know she was pregnant or she knew and was in the deepest of denial. But to go through something like a labor, then throwing the baby from the building and then just going back to bed is just wild to me. That's insane. Yeah. She deserves a special place in hell. Um, how do you do that? Yeah, it's not, some, something's going on there mentally. Um, she's just not right. So, I, I'm sorry, the other part of not knowing is like after giving birth, you know, like you're all, 
you're, you're slightly deflated. Like you're, you, you still have a stomach after giving birth because you still have water weight, you know, some extra fat and stuff going on there. So it takes a little bit to get rid of that. But did Ben Levine not know she was, you know, that much smaller? Yeah. That's, I don't know. The whole thing is just, it's just a really weird concept to me that it's never happened to me. So I don't understand it. She claimed that she thought the baby was a stillborn, but according to the autopsy, the baby was not a stillborn when she threw him, but that did kill him. She was arrested, but found not guilty by reasons of insanity. She was put in a hospital long term. I don't know if she spent the rest of her life there or not. There wasn't a whole lot of information after that. Um, but I feel a little better that she had to go somewhere to get help. And Yeah, no, she had to. I mean, something isn't right there. Yeah, that's too crazy to just be that big of an asshole. Mm-hmm. So 1947, Elizabeth Short, you may know her as the Black Dahlia, did have drinks at the hotel. Her deaths is one of the most famous Hollywood deaths and is technically still an unsolved death today. So is this the one who just like disappeared? The elevator girl? No. no. Uh, 1947. Elisa oh, Lamb was right. 2013. You're right. you're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> um, so five miles from the Cecil Hotel is where um, Elizabeth Short was found brutally murdered, raped, cut in half, and left bloodless Holy at shit. 22. You've heard of this death, right? <laughs> I, it sounds familiar, but I'm, I'm not correlating it with Cecile Hotel. So okay, it's a it's a very loose relation to the Cecile Hotel, but she had been there, and it was still close to the Cecile Hotel. So her death has been just infamous. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about the Black Dahlia because she's one of those murderers that has just been so fascinating. So George Hodel had been the most likely candidate for her murder out of the 150 suspects. Oh um, my gosh. His son was a homicide detective and looked into it because he was fascinated to find out his father was a suspect in the Black Dahlia death. And was hoping to research it and find out that he was completely innocent. It was a misunderstanding. I don't know. So he was trying to build a case to release his dad from an official suspect. Unfortunately, he did end up building a case that points to his father being the murderer. His dad was the head of the L.A. County Health Department and considered basically an untouchable. Um, His son found secret files and found out his dad was the prime suspect for many years. At the age of 16, George Hodel was expelled for having an affair with his professor's wife. He was a serious womanizer. He was known as a uh, sadomasochistic, as were his friends. He was accused by his daughter of incestuous sexual abuse. And she even took him to court, but his highbrow attorneys made her out to look like a liar, so his court case got dismissed. Wow. But he jumped to the top of the prime suspect list because he was considered by the police department a sex criminal. He was a doctor, and the way she was cut, cut in half, it was very clean, it was very neat, and it was suspected that really only a professional could have done that, somebody that was in the medical field. So because he was a sexual criminal, because he was a doctor, it it really fit. And lastly, the, I'm not saying it's the smoking gun, but multiple witnesses claim that he had been around Elizabeth Short, that they had been seen together. So he's not a completely innocent person who was like nowhere near her, never met her. No one has any connection to her. People claim to have seen them together. That's crazy. That's so insane. And like, you know, we've all had really tough 
conversations with our parents. Could you imagine like trying to prove your mother or father's innocence and just finding them guilty and having to have that discussion? No, I cannot. Please take a seat. Yeah, I think his dad had already passed away when he started doing this research. Oh, that sucks even worse. Yeah. This whole image of his dad is just ruined. Yeah. I don't know how he was as a dad, but seeing as how he was as a person, I don't think he was a stellar father. And seeing as his daughter took him to court for incestuous true, sexual abuse, I'm thinking he wasn't a great dad. So <clears throat> the police went and bugged his home and recorded one really mysterious conversation. He said something like, this is a quote that was taken out. Of, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have to figure it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. What the hell? Yeah. Hey, you're guilty, bro. He's guilty of something. So to me, that conversation is not a conversation of an innocent person. Either way, he is a gigantic asshole. Yeah. If he's not a murderer, he's definitely a... What am I trying to... What am I trying to say? Um, a horrible human being? Uh, yes, but like master manipulator and mm-hmm. just like likes to screw with people. Yeah. So I, I don't even think I said his name before. Steve Hodell was the son. George Hodell is the father. So it's interesting that Steve Hodell's investigation into his father, Steve Hodell also thinks his dad might be the Zodiac killer. Oh. So don't know about that. So anyway, Steve, back to the Steve hotel. must have a hefty therapy bill. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Um, So this is just another example of the sort of like magnetic energy that this hotel has to tragic events. Again, Elizabeth Short didn't likely didn't die in the hotel. We don't know where she died. We just know where she was found. Doubtful she died at the hotel, though. But she was a visitor of the hotel. 1962, Pauline Otten was a guest at the hotel on the ninth floor. She was 27 years old. She was planning to take her life. A note was found to her husband when she jumped. A 65-year-old man named George Gianni was walking, and she came down on top of him inadvertently, taking both lives. That really is bad luck for him. Yes. Uh, 1964, the hotel had a longtime resident, Pigeon Goldie. Her real name was Goldie Rogers Osgood, but she was known to feed pigeons at MacArthur Park and earned herself the nickname Pigeon Goldie. Sounds like a really adorable old lady. I know. Like, Uh, I want to be neighbors with her. I know. Pigeon Goldie. Pigeon Goldie was a retired telemarketer and 79 years old at the time of her passing. She was living at the hotel where on January 4th, 1964, she was found dead. Now, friends say they talked to her just minutes before she was killed. She was found beaten, stabbed, raped, and choked with a rag and robbed. Oh, my gosh. Next to her body was her Dodger's hat and a bag of bird seed. Oh my goodness. How old was she? Um, 79. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. One man was arrested hours after the murder, but, um, cause he had been seen at the park around the time where she was feeding the birds and had bloodstained clothes, but he was released later due to the lack of evidence. And today her murder is still unsolved. Wow. Now this next one is One of our bigger ones. So in the 1980s, Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, Cecile's most notorious guest, stayed there. He was born in Texas, 1960, lived much of his life in Los Angeles. In the midst of his murder spree, he spent weeks at the Hotel Cecile in room 1419. So 
Um, this is one of the top floors. They believed he committed at least one murder while a guest at the hotel, but to our knowledge, didn't murder anyone at the hotel. He was a serial killer, serial, serial rapist, and a thief. This guy is a complete heinous creature, and he's he's an interesting murderer because he's one of those that does not have a pattern. Uh, he killed and raped whomever. Um, yeah, he doesn't fit the <clears throat> excuse me regular serial killer bill of right. focusing on a certain type. Yeah, his first murder was to a 79-year-old widow, and then he didn't kill again for eight months. Um, but he would invade homes and steal, but enjoyed ter- torture and murder. He left satanic symbols on his victims, which, of course, this is also around the same time of the satanic panic getting into the 80s. Um, his crimes literally did create a panic in Los Angeles, and there was suddenly a high surge in gun sales. So my favorite part of Richard Ramirez's story, though, is how he was caught. So first of all, if you've not seen this basket of turds, what he looks like, (laughs) he has a very distinct face. He has the highest cheekbones on the planet. Have you seen him? I'm looking him up right now. I I know about him. Again, you know, my memory sucks. Yes. So I got got to look up stuff. No, he has insane cheekbones. Um, what oh, a, God. Like, what a waste. What wow. a waste. So when the police put out a picture of him, people all over L.A. freaked out. Everybody was looking for him. And he was finally spotted in a neighborhood trying to break into a car. And a crowd surrounded him to trap him and beat the shit out of him until the police came. That's my favorite. I love how he was caught. I know. Just like the- a community just rallied together because people were so scared. And when they saw him, I mean, they were freaked out. And so they were circling him, would not let him get away until the police came to pick him up. I would do the same thing, though. I would be screaming bloody murder, have a baseball bat in my hand, like just circling him like Like a a predator. Yeah. Yes. Like, you were not stepping away, sir. So ultimately... Um, Richard Ramirez was convicted of 13 murders, and the judge said about his crimes that he showed cruelty, callousness, and viciousness beyond any human understanding. His whole ordeal cost the taxpayers $1.5 million. He wasn't charged with all the murders due to lack of evidence, and that's one of the things that lawyers and, um, I'm sorry, not, well, yeah, lawyers, they, they have to, you have to be careful when you're trying to convict people of these crimes, because if you convict them of crimes that you might not have evidence that they committed, you don't want everything to get dropped. You have to yeah. you have to be careful about how you do this. So he showed no signs of remorse um, at any point after his conviction. He literally wanted to be known as the greatest serial killer and servant of Satan. And he was he also did the I think he said hail Satan in the courtroom. Yeah. So he was a real tool in the toolbox. He's sorry, did not mean to interrupt. No, you're fine. But people like him is when I'm, I really wish like their punishment was everything they did to people. Yes. Like you deserve Hammurabi's worst. Not just a death sentence, not a, you know, just get put to sleep. Yeah. He did, oh gosh. Oh, never mind. I, I, never mind. I did write it down. So he died in 2013 on death row at San Quentin State Prison of cancer. Cannot remember what kind of cancer he had though, because I know it really affected. Like he was deteriorating physically. Well, his 
teeth were already messed up. It probably started in his mouth. <laughs> I don't in think his it did. soul. I, I thought it was like liver cancer or something. Yes, soul cancer. Because he, I, I think he had like that jaundice look for oh. A, a while. Oh yes, he did. I do remember that. He okay. did. I so, hope it was painful. Cause I'm sure you, it was, Richard. Mm-hmm. Dick. <laughs> um. Oh wait, yeah, Richard is dick. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, there was a shirt that said "Don't be a Richard," and I stared at that for so long. Like, are they talking about Richard from Friends? And I literally asked Casey that, like, is this Richard from Friends? Is that like an expression? He was like, "It means dick, Ashley." I was like, "Oh." That is so okay. funny. <laughs> Jokes above my head, I guess. I had a coworker named Richard, and I walked in and was just like, "Sup, dick." He did not appreciate it. I'm sure he didn't. If that's not something he goes by, yeah, he does. That's what I think of, though. And you know, I suck in social situations sometimes, yes. and I'm always talking, so there's a lot of suckage going on. And sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, um, the next one I actually think is. Not not worse as like a human being than Richard Ramirez, but like, how have we not heard more about this guy? Um, so 1991, Jack, uh, I, it's Unterweger or Unterwager. I'm not sure. He's Austrian and I didn't, I cannot remember how to pronounce his last name, but Jack Unterweger and Aus- Austrian um, stayed at Cecile Hotel. So this hideous beast showed up in LA less than five years after the reign of Richard Ramirez. So he was there for quite a while. He even called it home. He was one of their long-term guests. So no one knows for sure, but it's widely believed he chose to stay at Cecile Hotel because he was a fan of the Night Stalker. So since his icon serial killer stayed there, he thought, eh, I'm going to stay here too. I want to um, be like you. Woo, 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 woo. Mm-hmm. I want to walk like you, talk like you. Oh, I didn't know you were singing Jungle Book. I thought you were singing something. <laughs> the first part you sang sounded like something else. So here's the backstory on this fella. Jack was born in 1950 in Austria. His mother was a sex worker, abandoned him at a young age. Supposedly his aunt was also a sex worker, but she was killed by a client. He turned to crime early and was arrested at 16 for assaulting a sex worker. In 1976, this guy was arrested for the murder of Margaret Schaefer. She, uh, she, I'm sorry. He was sentenced to life in prison. Behind bars, he learned how to read and write and oddly enough went on to sell a best-selling novel in 1983 while he was in prison called Purgatory or The Trip to Jail, Report of a Guilty Man. And and that's in Austrian. That's like the, the translation. Um, this book just convinced the parole board that he was a changed man um, because it, it really did. It became a best-selling novel. This guy cannot still be a criminal and be capable of writing a best-selling novel. He must be reformed. People are capable of doing anything, everything you can't even think of. So let's not. Do you, it, do you know about the book? Is it a good book? Obviously, it's best-selling. I, yeah, but. No, I, I'm, no, I'm not giving so, that any of my attention, but yes. It's a best-selling novel. So um, he was well-respected, though, in and out of prison. So from the Crime Wire, they said there was a fully-fledged campaign to get Unterweger paroled. Literature had cleansed Unter... Yeah, liter- sorry. Literature had cleansed Unterweger's violent instincts, Vienna's intellectuals, and political... Oh, my gosh. I wrote down the wrong word, and now I don't know what I meant to say. Well, since, um, since you're messing up... Um, as you all know, we didn't have an episode out um, on February 14th. 
And it was because Ashley took a spontaneous trip to India, and I think she's suffering from jet lag. Oh, I am. I just got home Monday night, and it's Wednesday, and I still have not caught caught up to my time zone. So uh, I'm 12 and a half hours off, really. So sorry that I forgot how to read in the time I was gone. Um, so Vienna's intellectuals and um, political people saw him as completely reformed. So Nobel Prize winners, writers, poets, artists, government officials all campaigned for this guy to be released. They so badly believed that this once troubled man had found his calling and they wanted him to be the example of rehabilitation. So they did end up releasing him in 1990 after he served his minimum sentence. The prison, uh, the prison governor said, quote, we will never find a prisoner so well prepared for freedom, end quote. What? So what does he do? For one, he went out on speaking tours and talk shows for his book. Jack's book was made into a feature film in Austria, and I can't pronounce this name, but I think it's like Fegefuhr, which means purgatory in German. Um, he also became Austria's poster boy for rehabilitation. He was a man who used his art to basically cure himself of criminal activities, is what everybody believed. So, <clears throat> they will soon, of course, have egg on their face over that one. He stayed in Vienna a while after his release and mysteriously formally Months after his release, a sex worker is found dead, strangled by her underwear, just like Margaret Schaefer had been. Within a few months, there had been at least seven sex workers found dead, strangled by their bra or underwear. They all had a similar pattern, strangled by their bra or underwear, and left in the woods. Exactly what Jack did with his first victim. And who do you know that comes up to champion the safety for sex workers? We should protect them. Jack. He promoted the safety for sex workers and was Mr. Anti-Violence. He even did an article interviewing the police chief in the crimes, which he, of course, committed those crimes. And either he was just playing a little game, wanting to sort of be involved, look innocent, um, and or probably both of these things. He wanted to know what the police knew about these murders. What a dildo. I do not like him. <laughs> no, he's horrible. Oh, and why did the politicians rally around him? Like, why would you risk your own reputation to support? I am all about rehabilitation, but... Why, why start with a, a yeah, murder? Violent, with criminals, yes. violent criminals are different. I I think a lot of people can be rehabilitated, but there are certain people that... I, how do you go on with life like a normal person after that? I just don't think so. And a lot of well-known serial killers have some some amount of brain damage like there's actually a problem with their brain i think it's yeah i don't know if brain load. damage yeah i'm not well maybe brain damage is the right word i'm not sure but yes they something is going on there so then the next thing he did was go to the magnet of all things dark cecile hotel and wouldn't you know it murders to sex workers in uh vienna suddenly stopped he wanted to come to the U.S. In search, uh, to research, quote, the dark side of Los Angeles. He even did a ride-along with a lieutenant of the LAPD in which he claimed he was a journalist for the Austrian Police Journal, which he wasn't. So like we said, the area around Cecil as, um, sorry, was riddled with homelessness, drugs, and sex workers. It was just a hot, a hot mess. And um, so much of his research was interviewing sex workers. Jack would take these sex workers back to his room and strangle them with their own bra. By all accounts, uh, police, FBI, Vienna's police were all starting to suspect Jack's timeline 
and these trail of dead sex workers just really couldn't be a coincidence. They all matched his first crime and they're following everywhere he's going. So they stopped trusting this guy just because he wrote a bestseller, which is pretty amazing. I will say that, but they're starting to now question themselves. Now it looks like um, in the U.S. they didn't really trust him to begin with. So they were a little bit more on top of it. Um, so he was put under surveillance and detectives watched him like a hawk. So while at Hotel Cecile, he was robbed, so he did decide to leave. One article said that he had stopped, manipulated, and seduced a young receptionist who worked there. She agreed to travel out of the country with him. So he did leave the country for a little while. Finally, around 1992, there was a mountain of evidence against him, and they were ready to arrest him. He started to know that something was up, so he did lead um, the investigators on a chase. He fled from L.A. to Switzerland. Switzerland to Paris, and then Paris to Miami. He decided to come back to the U.S. for some reason, where he was eventually caught February 27th, 1992. So they... That's like such a dumb move. Like, I'm I'm glad he got caught, but why would you come back to the U.S.? Yeah, we really depend on these criminals to make a dumb move. You just have to, like, keep popping, I guess. I don't know. But I think it's also ego. I think that's a big part of it. You're a narcissistic psycho... Yeah, and and for some reason you think you're you're just you're not going to get caught. You think you're so master, you know, you're such a mastermind. I don't know. Yeah, and he's also like a gross weirdo kind of pervert, and there's lots of hot babes in Miami. So yeah, so they. What's kind of funny though, knowing that he was this narcissist, they got him by stroking his ego. Uh, They told him that they were from (laughs) Success Magazine and wanted to hear his story, and they'd pay him ten thousand dollars. And since he loves you know, hearing himself talk and loves being in the spotlight, he gobbled up that bait and went right into the hands of the U.S. Marshals. He was then extradited to Austria, where he stood trial. Again, many of his former supporters rallied on his side, swearing there was just no way he could have killed these women. And I think part of that was also not wanting to believe that somebody you've heavily supported turned into a criminal. So uh, many women showed up to this trial in tears because they also desperately wanted to believe in his innocence. But there were women that testified against him, contradicting this well-behaved tender man. Uh, They said, no, he's violent and painted this completely different picture, probably a more accurate picture of who he really was inside. Man, I know we're we're doing haunted real estate, so we need to focus on properties, but I would love to do a deep dive into the crazy bitches that obsess over serial killers and write them letters and visit them. You want to write them letters and visit them? Ew, no. Oh, I thought you were saying. I'd love to investigate them and write them letters and visit them. No, I would rather not speak to one ever, but... Yeah. But no, just the, the the love and obsession that some women and, and men, I'm sure, mm-hmm. have for serial killers. Just like, it's just insane to me. Like, what is wrong with you to where you want that in yeah. life? I think it's the idea that you want somebody to change for you. Like, they're going to fall in love with you and you somehow like... I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of guesstimating here. But especially, I mean, look at Ted Bundy. Women drooled over that guy and he violently killed women. I think there's something in those women's minds that like you want to change them. 
I think that's a possibility, but I also think that there's got to be something really messed up in their head to where maybe they want to get hurt or they like the risk of it. Yeah. Like, he's a dangerous man. Like, I want to see how far I can get. I don't know. That's why I think it'd be interesting to really look into them. I've never yeah. read anything I or remember watched anything about. Frazier said something funny like that. He's like, murderers on death row can literally get dates and I can't even scare one up to go out to dinner with me. <laughs> Like part of that is true. <laughs> so true. What about that is like making this man more attractive? I'm telling you, that is not my dating pool. That's crazy. Murder, murder, most, most foul. foul. Yeah, it's so, not my dating pool either. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I don't want a brother-in-law that is some kind of violent killer. So he was diagnosed. Uh, Jack was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, which should not come as any kind of surprise. Uh, the man was literally interviewing police about his own murders, and I just think he just couldn't get enough of himself. So to put the nail in the coffin, he had no alibi for the murders committed. Um, and on June 29th, 1994, he was convicted of murder. Within hours of his conviction, Jack hung himself in his jail cell using his shoestring and pants. A spokesperson called it his best murder. He died the same way he was killed. So he Jack died the same way he was killed? Being strangled. So he, um, he had also said, like, he's not going back to jail. He said that over and over. So I think when he realized he's for sure not getting out of this pickle, he committed suicide. And if he was innocent, I think he would have kept trying and, you know, he would have appealed it. And he did. I think he just, he knew he was done for. So that's junk, uh, junk, junk. Sorry, <laughs> Jack Unterweger. Um, another one of Cecile's infamous guests. So after decades of a poor reputation, Hotel Cecile did try to rebrand. In 2003, the owners at the time renovated the lobby and the common areas. In May 2007, they sold the property. In 2011, then it became stay on the main hotel and hostel. They were $75 a night and were advertising as budget-friendly to tourists. Floors two to three were for long-term, low-income tenants. Fourth, fifth, and sixth floors were for stay on the main, which included its own entrance, but they were still all connected to the same building. And then the remaining floors, seven through 15, were for the Cecile Hotel. So what was confusing, though, was the website was for stay on the main. They just had no idea it was the same location as Cecile Hotel. So people didn't necessarily realize like if they were from out of town that they were staying in that same building how do you not know when, well what they, they had their they had their own entrance and everything okay um 2011 yeah i feel like news is everywhere since then so i feel like you would know unless you're from another country yeah i think if you're just like looking up like cheap places to stay that would come up and it's nothing's gonna say like fyi Connected to Hotel Cecile, unless you like go out of your way to look up budget like, friendly. The, the hotel you might history. Die here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, the and the colors and everything are different. Colors are orange with a completely different style. It looks like it's a more modern place to be. So if you're not from the area or are unfamiliar with Cecile, you think you're going to a completely different hotel. Stay on the Main was appealing to many tourists for a cheap place to stay in L.A., but the hotel um, didn't lose its dark aura and reputation because in 2013, the most recent major event was Elisa Lamb. She was a Canadian student to 
she went to stay at a guest at the Cecile Hotel. She was 21 years old, a college student from Canada. Her case is really interesting because internet sleuths were so heavily involved in her disappearance, and that really kind of sensationalized her story. Um, People from all over were trying to figure out what happened to her. She was keeping a blog, um, the eerie video of her went circulating. Um, So there's so many theories about her disappearance um, and they were ranging from spirits at the hotel to murder to kidnapping. But let's talk about what actually happened. So in January, uh, January 26, 2013, Elisa Lamb arrived at the hotel and this was completely against her parents' wishes. They did not want her to go on this trip and she was completely alone. She didn't go with any friends or anything like that. Um, as a part of her traveling alone, she was supposed to check in with her parents regularly. Now, she did suffer from mental illness, and this was likely one of the many reasons why they did not want her to go alone. She needed to be taking her medicine. She wasn't always taking her medicine, um, and her lows were pretty bad. So she was supposed to be at the hotel for three nights. With her agreement with her parents, she was supposed to have daily communication with them. So it was January 31st, they didn't hear from her, and it was shortly thereafter that they notified the LAPD. The police, of course, searched the hotel, they watched surveillance tapes. This is where the internet sleuths really focused their attention because her last footage on the surveillance was in the elevator. This is a creepy video, sorry. It is, it is super great, and I'm actually going to describe it for those that haven't seen it. So the video went viral. So maybe you've seen it, maybe you didn't. So like I said, let me kind of explain what happened. Elisa goes into the elevator. She pushes all the buttons and stands there with the elevator door open. And this is about a three-minute surveillance tape. She then sort of tiptoes to the elevator door, pops her head out like she's trying to catch someone um, because she kind of does that slow tiptoe and then just like jumps her head out like she thinks that like, gotcha. But you don't see anybody else in the tape. You don't see any shadows or anything like that. She then backs into the front corner of the elevator by the buttons and stares with her head turned to the right like she's hiding from someone. She steps to the side, back to the door, and pokes her head out again. She continuously looks both ways and then jumps out of the elevator. Then she steps in and out of the elevator a couple times and then steps out of the elevator. All you can see are her arms on this part of the elevator as she's outside, outside of the elevator. Um, but they're moving in a way that seems like she's talking to somebody. She's, she's gesturing like she's in a conversation. She gets back into the elevator and then starts pushing all the buttons again. She steps back out of the elevator and is standing to her to the right side of the elevator and is definitely talking and looks like she's gesturing again, but there's nobody else in the footage. And again, you don't see any shadows or signs of her talking to anybody. She steps out of the camera's view. The elevator doors remain open for several seconds. Then they close, reopen, close, reopen, and close again. And Elisa's nowhere in sight. So, oh, I put it in my notes. It's a four-minute video. I'm sorry. I said three. The video is very strange and eerie because, honestly, if you watch it, you feel like she's talking to somebody and you feel like someone's there. Yeah, you definitely, when you watch it, you get that gross feeling inside. Like, it's that's why so many people think it could be spirits related. Right. Because there's something is in her head saying, or I don't know, it's super weird. Yeah. I mean, and then you also mentioned she had mental illness and she's 21. She is by herself, but I'm thinking like 21-year-old me... Just graduated college, you know, I might be celebrating 420 and doing weird stuff on an elevator. So, yeah, there's so many explanations for it, but 
but it's this is too a weird. Yeah. Yes. So it's very weird. And I didn't actually know about Elisa Lamb until the Netflix documentary came out. Oh, I didn't even know there was a Netflix documentary on it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's where Casey and I first watched it. So the first two, ep- I think it's three episodes. The first two episodes, I think, of course, this was now a couple of years that it since came out, but you don't know what happened to her in the first two episodes. So you think that she was murdered because what you're watching, everything looks like she was talking to somebody else and then she goes missing and no one saw her after that elevator video. She didn't leave the hotel um, or else it would have been on tape or somebody would have seen her. Wasn't she found later, though, in the hotel? Yeah, I'm going to tell you what happens. Okay. Just making sure I didn't confuse it with another story again. No. Okay. So no one really knows if she was talking to someone or if she was in the midst of a mental health episode. But people lean more towards she was probably in the midst of a mental health episode. So it's just more widely believed that she was not actually talking to somebody, but she probably thinks she was talking to somebody. So after she disappears from view on the video, no one knows where she went or what happened. Her room was investigated. All of her belongings were there with no sign of a break-in or anything suspicious other than the fact that she was missing and her things were still at the hotel. So a couple of weeks went by without any sign of Elisa. Then people started to complain about the water at the hotel. They said it had a funny taste. After several complaints, they sent a maintenance worker to the rooftop where the big water tanks are. And there they find Elisa Lamb in the water tank dead. So what the heck happened? Did they tell the hotel guests that were there that there was a body? Because I feel like they would have hundreds of people just suing them for um contaminating their i don't bodies. know at what point people found out but in that netflix documentary there guests there there's at least one couple in the documentary that were guests and they were one of the ones that complained about the water tasting funny i don't know if i could get over that really yes is. that that's a really eerie feeling yeah um to, to know that you were drinking out of that i don't know why it reminds me of cabin fever Totally different. Oh my gosh. Just the, the contaminated water making everyone sick. Yeah, but there was a dead body in there, right? Yeah, but that was like a diseased person. Yeah. Um, no, it was pretty good. I mean, their skin started falling off. This is yeah. not what happened. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So we only have footage and reports from the hotel and that she was found in the water tank. We do know that she moved rooms by the hotel because she was being disruptive. She was initially in a shared room, and then she was moved to a single because, again, like we said, think heavily she was involved in, not involved, I'm sorry, that she was in the midst of a mental health episode, and she was being disruptive, and people were complaining, so she had to go to her own room. So there was an excerpt from Men's Magazine that I thought explained likely what was going on with her pretty well. It said, based on the evidence that we have, Elisa looked like she had bipolar one, says Dr. Judy Ho, a clinical forensic neuropsychologist interviewed for the series. An individual with such a disorder could spiral into a psychotic state. In that state, you have a very disorganized thinking where the logic doesn't seem to make sense and it's hard to separate fantasy from reality, says Ho. 
I think that when you look at the reports of her behavior at the hotel, Lamb had been disruptive, causing her to be moved into a new room. And even the infamous elevator video, that to me, it completely is consistent with somebody in the middle of a psychotic episode. So that's from um, Dr. Judy Ho in Men's Magazine. It's crazy what our minds and bodies can do with different disorders. Yes. No, I totally agree. And that's, I'm, I'm glad that somebody there can kind of explain that because if you don't, if you don't know anybody that has bipolar disorder or you, you know, you just haven't, you have no knowledge of that. It kind of puts into perspective why she might've been talking to herself, what was going on with her. I don't think she was taking her medication. So I think the real story, assuming we have come to the correct conclusion is somehow sadder than it being a killer, just kind of knowing that she was spiraling. I think that's why so many people have a hard time that believing that she somehow did this to herself, even though it was completely by accident. I think the idea of a killer just seemed like, in a weird way, less sad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would be an explanation we would understand better. Yes. Because we're looking at, you know, like scientific facts, I guess, about mental health and then the dark past of the hotel itself. I'm Yes, and that's why I think is another reason why people jump to, like, maybe this had to be a killer. Yeah. Her sister said that when she was having these episodes, she felt like she was being chased. And she would usually hide in her room for days when she was having these lows in her episodes. Um, And she had even been hospitalized before due to the severity of her mental health. Gosh, she really should not have been traveling alone. No, she shouldn't, but... She's an adult, and that's I think that's the tough thing for her parents is yeah. there's only so much you can do, and ultimately it was her choice. Yeah, um, for sure. But I get it. I mean, I'm a mom. I wouldn't want my – one, it doesn't even matter. Like, if my daughter wasn't having any mental health situations, I don't want her traveling by herself. But yeah. two, she is having mental health issues. You really don't want her traveling by herself. So for sure. that was really sad for her parents. So those on the internet trying to solve the case did not have all those facts, of course. They didn't know about all of her mental health stuff. So it's unlikely there was any kind of conspiracy here, even though people on the internet like desperately were clinging to that and they were trying to find a killer rather than believing this was Elisa Lamb just having an episode. But I think the Elisa Lamb case really did did expose the ugly truth that mental health is no joke. She, uh, she should have been she should have been taking care of that. Yeah. Um, and people are afraid to talk about their mental health and are ashamed of it and I think that maybe this footage gives us that small window into the mind of somebody that is going through severe mental illness. And yeah. I think that we what we can at least take away from her story is that we need to be sensitive and compassionate and aware that everybody has something going on inside. And I you know, I'm not trying to take this away and like get on a high horse about something, but mental health is serious and I just wish that people could have understood that better at the time. I agree. I mean, I don't know everything that the hotel did, but they clearly knew something was going on. She was being disruptive. And it makes me wonder when they had a conversation with her, hey, you're being disruptive. We're going to have to move you rooms. What was her response? Did they see that anything was going on with her that maybe they should have called the police? Not to not to have her arrested, but to have her evaluated. Yeah, that's 
That's what sucks about stuff like this, because when you're working, especially like all the workers at the hotel, their their brain probably goes to this is just an asshole. Yeah. And they're disrupting our guests. And- right. And you get a lot of those in a hotel. And I'm sure people that have worked hotels for years know that sometimes you just have a bunch of jerks. But yeah, I don't think this was the case here. For um, sure. I, she I, was she was going through something and makes you wonder if she could have been saved had they recognized that she was having a mental health situation and maybe would have called somebody well i do think and i appreciate you know since then everyone has become a little bit more aware and feel more comfortable about talking about mental health i think that's like the only thing good that came from the pandemic is like bringing out that awareness and so many people are talking about it because i think what we need to do is disassociate shame with mental illness Just because you're going through something like that, not talking about it, I think is the bigger problem because way more people are going through it than you'll ever realize. Yeah. And so I think, I think if we could just finally get past feeling any kind of shame with that and just talk about it, then people would have a hard, I'm sorry, an easier time taking care of it. So Elisa Lamb, unfortunately, was another innocent victim of the Cecile Hotel. So Amy Price was one of the managers that was interviewed on the Netflix documentary Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecile Hotel. She was employed there between 2007 and 2017, so about 10 years. She said there were approximately 80 deaths in the time she worked there in 10 years yes oh my and she was the manager with the elisa lamb investigation oh my gosh that's eight a year i would have quit my job after the first year probably after you know three deaths i'd be like i'm out guys (laughs) yeah again i don't know what the average is i mean people i mean people die naturally yeah and i'm sure hotels have seen deaths for sure there just seems to be an odd amount of deaths that are not natural they are suicide and murder and those are the two things where people kind of get you know weirded out by property where those things have happened because you feel like well you feel like that's not natural and it's not no it's not the way anybody should have to go it kind of makes me think of um i I forget the actual name but the suicide forest Mm -hmm. in japan yeah um doesn't it have another name though yes it has a technical name i can't think of it right now but it's japanese yeah but since that is, you know, said to have some kind of energy or force that makes mm-hmm. people like brains go to that place. Uh, I wonder if Hotel Cecile has something like that. Oh, yeah. And there's the uh, forest in Romania, too, that has that also. <sighs> That's so scary. That has a strange amount of energy or deaths or that one's weird. Super plants weird. not growing where plants should grow, like just weird things Birds about that. Forest. Don't fly there. Yeah, Animals don't really live there. Yeah, what's that about? I, right. I mean, I'm all about saving the planet and save the trees, but like, why don't we nuke that place and see what's underground? <laughs> like, no. Let's what find are you out talking what's about? Happening. Uh, no, I know, let's I'm not kidding. nuke it. I, I'm, I'm really, saying let's leave it alone. I just, it's something I really want to know the answer to, and I'm never going to. So yeah. that's. I just have to accept that. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Let's let's not look under that rock and see what's there. I don't want to know. I do and I don't. The oh. curious part of me does, but there's just been so many weird things that happen in those kinds of forests that I, I'm not going to be the one to do it. But kudos to those that want to. So today, the Cecile Hotel has undergone many changes. In 2014, the property sold for $30 million dollars. 
Did Feb- Nicolas Cage buy it? No. <laughs> February 2017, L.A. City Council declared Hotel Cecile a landmark. At this time, or I'm sorry, at this time, at that time, it closed and reopened again December 2021 as low-income housing. Hotel Cecile Apartments working in partnership partnership with Skid Row Housing Trust. So today it is affordable housing. There are now 600 units that are 160 to 175 square feet and bathrooms and kitchen are common areas. So they share them. So you basically it's 160 to 175 square foot bedroom slash living spaces, private and then kitchen and common areas are shared. So they offer case management and security guards on site. Rent ranges from 900 to 1200 a month and section 8 vouchers are allowed, which are like the government helps pay for portions for certain people. So for LA, that that is low in, uh, that's that's very low rent. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean even for Houston, that's pretty low rent. I'm pretty sure my besties are paying like 2500 or something ridiculous that live in California. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's very expensive. So the big question, is it haunted? Um besides being haunted with memories of the death and tragedy that has gone on there, of course people do believe it's haunted. Um one YouTuber Pete Montzingo, he lives across the street from the Cecil. He would um video strange occurrences at the hotel when the hotel was supposed to be vacant. He said balcony doors would open and close by themselves. Um, He saw a silhouette of someone hanging on one of the top floors. He did gain access to the building and he wasn't supposed to be in the building, but I guess a security guard let him in. All people though that have gone in to look at the hotel to see if it's haunted or whatever, have all agreed whether they believe in ghosts or not that they feel like the top few floors are the eeriest. They say it feels like eyes are on you. So Uh, whether if you go there, just like keep in mind, Pete the creep is probably recording you. That's yeah. Yeah. You can rear window stuff right there. You can look at his YouTube videos and um, yeah, he just, he he does live directly across and just kind of tapes what's going on there. Are we allowed to say tapes anymore? Someone tapes what's going on because it's today. Like we're getting to a point where they're not even going to know what tapes are. I say, keep it going okay because i i still say tape or you know stuff well, i like still that. call a remote a zapper sometimes i know right i don't know anybody outside of our family that calls it a zapper though same so because i remember saying zapper so many times and people were like what <laughs> yeah. i'm like god that sounds like alien like get the zapper yeah. or like a bug zapper <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> So whether or not you believe in ghostly hauntings or not, I feel like it's pretty undeniable that the hotel just has bad energy. And many of the guests and visitors of the hotel will tell you at the very least, the energy on the property does not feel right. Um, And the security guards have said that too. A lot of them don't believe in ghosts, but they feel like the energy there has been really bizarre. So Ghost Adventures went to the hotel in 2020 and reported back in their two-hour special that they did capture strange audio and video recordings, and even some team members had physical afflictions. Stop. Yes. So y'all can look more into that if you would like to, but those are just some of the many weird things that have happened at the Hotel Cecile, and I hope you enjoyed those mini stories. I certainly did, and I'm going to go ahead and go on record and say that I think it's haunted. Yeah, I will go on record and say that there's for sure bad energy there. It is definitely haunted with the memories. If it's haunted with the ghosts, 
that's up to you. Um, But thank you guys for listening. And we hope that you go follow us on haunted.real.estate and email us your weird story at hauntedre. I'm sorry, I already forgot. Hauntedrepod (laughs) at gmail.com. I almost just went past it. Hauntedrepod at gmail.com. Email us your weird real estate story or if you have any story ideas, some properties that are funky and they need to be researchable, um, let us know. We'd love to hear your your tale of something weird. Hey, I've had a couple of folks tell me that they have some pretty cool stories, um, some in Colorado, some around Houston, Mexico. You're telling me these, and everyone knows I have a bad memory, so put those, put those thoughts in that email and yeah, send them to us. Email, email us those stories. And we have a Patreon now. Laney, what's our Patreon information? Patreon.com slash. We're just like terrible at selling our handles. Um, it's Patreon.com slash haunted RE. That's Patreon.com slash haunted. Haunted. I just said haunted. Oh my gosh. Haunted RE. I think. So. Okay. You We're, know what? We are so good. Everyone, you have a blessed day. Yes. Thank you. And we'll see you later next T- week. TTFN. Ta ta for now. <laughs>